So welcome, everyone, to Howling Coyote. And today we have Brian and Joanna Lamboy, who are going to talk about fractal theory of being, which should be really interesting. And they're both um, medical students at the University of New England College of Osteopathic Medicine. And I expect they have a rich background prior to medical school that they may or may not reveal. So uh, you guys take it away. All right. Well, we appreciate you letting us talk about this topic. And kind of with any theory, you kind of does show a lot about that person. So I think you will get to know us by our theory that we have. I will start by sharing my screen. Okay. No, just later. Is it hard? Here you got the screen. I'm almost there. Yep. Okay. 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 There you go. All right. Our whole medical career has been on Zoom, and yet we're still having technical difficulties. <laughs> All right. There we are. You guys can see this, right? Yes. All right. So, the fractal theory being, originally, we've been working on this, just talking it out probably for at least four or five years. Um, kind of really came into more fine detail over the past couple months, even past couple weeks. So, it's definitely not a full-fledged theory I would if I had to put a number on it I would say we're maybe like 10 to 20 percent of where we want to be but we're just hoping to present the ideas and maybe plant the seed with somebody who watches it or just further develop it through this conversation so before we get into it I just wanted to say that most of the concepts in this theory are from Jordan Peterson who People might have a negative connotation with him with some things, but his things with psychiatry have really have been a, a breath of fresh air for me in my life and have really changed how I view the world. And if I didn't want to present anything without giving him his due diligence. All right. So like I said, we're trying to, the idea of the fractal is trying to come up with a concept of how humans behave and why we behave the way we do so for our own personal reasons and to help as a psychiatrist uh, help patients change their futures. So John, do you want to add anything before we get started? 
What I'd like to add is just that another goal we had was as your psychiatrist, Dr. Madrona, getting your input as you've seen thousands of patients in your career. We've only seen collectively maybe a couple hundred now in our third year. Um, like we've already noticed certain patterns of human behaviors and the way in which these patients are existing in their own world. Um, and so the ideas that we're gonna present to you, getting like for you to interrupt. All right. So I think the best way to view this is to look at it as akin to gravity. So Isaac Newton didn't didn't create gravity. He discovered it. Right. Same concept that this is a pattern that humans that affects humans like human a human life, no matter if they know the concept or they don't know the concept. That's kind of like. It's a bold statement, but that's kind of where we're trying to go with this. All right, so there we go. All right, so there's, as of right now, there's seven different aspects of the human fractal. And everything that we're going to say isn't revolutionarily. We're just trying to put it into a concept that makes sense, that people could grasp and understand easily. So... All these seven concepts, seven different parts interact and they all influence each other. So if we take the first concept, just the brain itself. So we know if the body is like main purpose in a way is to create homeostasis. If it's out of homeostasis, then things can get thrown off, right? So we all know about being too hungry, being having to go to the bathroom, that all shapes your perception in the moment. So the biggest, one of the main points of the fractal theory is that this is shaping your perception for that moment. All of these seven um, different dimensions of the fractal are shaping your perception. And we kind of really got into perception, the idea of perception after seeing the gorilla experiment, which... I'm sure doctor knows about this, but it's basically the concept of there's two teams that a team wearing a white shirt and a team wearing a black shirt, and they're passing around a basketball, right? And you're asked to count how many times there are passes between the white team. During this, during the passing, there's a gorilla that walks out and beats his chest then walks away. And at the end, you're asked how many times the ball was passed. You know, most people get it somewhat close to the number. But then you're asked, did you see the gorilla? And I believe it's a little over 50% of the people do not see the gorilla. So it's an interesting concept to think about. Like, we're all seeing the same stimulus, but we're not, we're interpreting things differently, right? We perceive the world differently. Not a revolutionary concept, but... That's what these different dimensions are, are influencing how you perceive the world. So as I was going into the brain, so if you have a high thyroid level, as our my cat comes in, high thyroid level that could affect how you see the world, you're a little bit more energetic, you see things differently. Or let's say if you 
had a stroke, right? You're maybe if your leg was affected right now, when you go to a building, you're looking at the building for the ramp. You're looking, where can I get in? Like just what you're perceiving in the moment is influenced by all of these different dimensions. Um, sticking with the brain and the body, if you're intoxicated or under a certain medication, right? That this all influences how you perceive in the moment. Anything you want to add to brain and body? Yeah, another component of, sorry, cat being in pain, um, uh, how your perception of your reality, your life is shaped by being in chronic pain every day. Uh, I just came from work today and had a patient that said the pain got too severe and too much that it's all I could focus on. And so basically what I interpreted that was, you know, she wasn't able to be open to other experiences in her life or she was just stuck mentally on how much pain she was in every day until she's been put on medication and now she's more free and open to other experiences and so like um just the significance of that aspect of the brain and body influencing your experiences right and obviously there's multiple books written thousands of books written dr mel madrona has written books on the brain so these are theoretically just chapters that we could write and how they influence. So the next one we could talk about is personality. So I like to think about personality as just kind of like our default temperament that we are given when we were born of a way to handle the world. So there's different theories on personality, but I'm going to focus on the big five factor model with extroversion, neuroticism, openness, and conscientiousness, conscientiousness and agreeableness. So you can look at all of these as like quick and dirty ways to solve social issues, right? So if you look at agreeableness, throughout time, it's, it is a question like how agreeable you should be, how much you should weigh someone else's interest versus how much you should weigh your interest. Right. And you could imagine that we're all on this bell curve of agreeable, disagreeable, consciousness, all five different factors. And we're all on a different um, spot on those factors. Now we could grow and develop ourselves, but this is kind of like a default way to help us see the world. So, again, this is part of the seven that you have your brain, your body, and then your personality. These are all influencing how you shape the world. We don't need to go into the different details of the personality because I'm definitely not an expert, but it's just a way, it's another dimension of how we perceive the world. Let me just go back. So then I'm gonna go to friends and family. So we all heard the quote, your accumulation of the five people that you spend around to spend the most time with, right? So this is the concept that for friends at least, that these, who you spend time with is going to be influencing how you see the world, the thoughts that go in your head, the think how you interact with the world. And then family gives you your original foundation, right? That's your set point. Maybe you want to do the exact opposite of your family, but at least that's your set point for how you interact in the world. Anything you want to add on those two? So we could go into more details later, but let's keep going with the seven. So then we you could go into motive. 
And I like to think of motive as the concept of you're studying to pass the test versus you're studying to learn the information on a deeper level, right? So if you're studying to pass the test, what you perceive is just going to be, you know, like the what you think the teacher is going to test, right? That's what you're trying to perceive. That's what you're trying to get as compared to a, if you had a maybe a deeper motive of I want to learn as much as possible, that will let you perceive things, maybe show you opportunities that you didn't see if you were looking at it from a different motive. And you could take that motive example far, far in you know different dimensions. And then actions in the world. So this is 24-7, all the experiences that we have. So a surgeon, right? He gets trained in hours and hours of seeing an open body, right? When he looks at the intestines, and when I look at the intestine, we hope that he sees something different, right? So he's perceiving the world differently based off his experience, right? An engineer looks at a building, architect looks at the building, they, they're literally seeing things differently than me than other people who don't have the experience. And then lastly, this one, we're not great with the name, but we're just calling it room. And it's the concept, it's either your bedroom, your apartment, your house, your car, whatever you have at the moment. It's the concept of how do you separate if your room is in a certain way, say if it's messy or super, super neat every like your room is a representation of you it's uh and just as a car is a representation of you now you could take the concept further and is it your community is it are you responsible in a way for your state your the whole universe but we're just going to focus on the room concept that these are all impacting how you see the world right okay so now this is the money slide. So this is where it comes all together. So if you think about it as we having, we're having two selves, experiencing self and the remembering self. So I think the slide under the experiencing self is a beautiful representation of just how quick our life really is. So each circle is a month and you could see different time periods, right? So. At each circle, at each point in time, that is your perception for that moment, right? And it gets incorporated into the fractal. So if you can imagine these circles being incorporated into the fractal, that's the picture in the middle. And then all your experiences can be broken down into the seven different parts, right? So one a cool concept that I like right off the bat with this uh, circle analogy is that if you have, let's say if you have a trauma when you're five, that maybe it lasts for a couple of years, right? So if you think about trauma as a circle that gets shaded in or a circle that gets stuck. So now if you have a trauma that's stuck, that a circle that's stuck, that stuck circle is going to influence the rest of the circles moving forward. So you're not going to be as free. You're not going to be able to like be dynamic in the situation because of your past stuck moments. And we're going to talk about how to get unstuck. But it's a um, similar concept with OMM with you want things to move 
freely. You don't want things to be stuck. All right, so now at any given time, say when you're at your 30th birthday, birthday, you, this, you're perceiving the world based off your prior experience. But then you have your remembering self. This is what I like to think of as like the storytelling self. So when I ask patients to tell me about high school, tell me about middle school, right? Theoretically, maybe the brain remembers every single thing, but that's not practically how we work, right? Practically how we work is we think of that scenario, we kind of get the gist of it, and then we tell a story of that scenario. So the, the main point is that whatever story you're telling, that's the, we, we call it the rebar that you're on. So the rebar is on the right-hand side underneath the person running in the sky. So I would like to just share a little story to explain this process, this concept. So my Uncle Lou was telling a story, and he was saying that his wife, my aunt, just got into the choir at church. At church. And he was like, I never go to church, but since she just got in the choir at I was going to go, uh, he went and brought her flowers and he brought us two sons. So he's at church and this guy next to him, this older gentleman next to him, starts to slump over and like leans his head on my Uncle Lou. So Uncle Lou stands up and tells the priest, he's like, Father, is there any, is there any uh, doctors in the house? This guy needs help. And uh there was, happened to be two nurses that came over to help the guy. But after that, he's telling the story and he's like, this is why I never go to church. It's like people die, people die right next to me. And my other uncle goes, oh, you could look at it like, well, thank God you went because you saved the guy. Right. So it's the concept of when you have an experience, you can look at it as on this bottom picture as just like a, um, a circle is a good way to look at it. And then the story you tell of it is the connection and it's the meaning that you create for that story. Now, the story that you're telling, that's just one story, one way to look at it, right? My uncle Lou looked at it that, oh, I can never go to church again, but my other uncle looked at it that, oh, you should go to church. But what is paramount is what is the future goal that they want so my uncle Lou doesn't want to go to church so he tells the story that i can never go again to church or I, I shouldn't go because the person people died next to me right so that's his motive for telling that story but if you wanted to have a different motive if you wanted to have a different goal you would need to tell a different story so it's the concept of you have your experiencing self, but then you have your remembering self, which depending on the story that your remembering self is telling is going to lead to certain outcomes. And if you want to get to different outcomes than you're at, then you need to tell a different story. You need to hop onto a different rebar. So... Do you, you want to go into? Yeah. So 
we are calling this theory the fractal theory of being because we start we read about what a fractal was and as we were learning about it we you know the definition which is right in front of you um we kind of realized that wow like human behaviors human life acts quite similar to this so the word fractal originated from the latin word fractus which translates to broken or fractured and it was this man a mathematician back in uh just recently in 1980 Benoit Mandelbrot who coined this term based on um you know the different mathematical equations and things that he was doing at the time um but he he calls a fractal that it's a geometric shape that can be split into parts and specifically parts that are at least approximately close to the smaller parts that are reduced copy of the whole. So there are different types of fractals, um, like up in the right-hand corner, it's very small. I should have made it bigger, but it's called the Coke uh, snowflake. It's an example of a fractal, but it's a um, an exact self-similar fractal, whereas um, the fractal that we're kind of emphasizing, uh, which is called the Mandelbrot set, is a quasi-self-similar fractal. So an exact self-similar fractal is one in which you can take any random arbitrary point in the image itself, and, and that would be an exact replica of the entire image. Um, and so even though that's like this overarching goal that we are thinking about as um, to describe our theory of the fractal being that we have smaller bits of us that are um, in theory patterns that are the exact replica of us in a larger scale, a quasi self-similar pattern, which is um, an equation I'm about to talk about, it's at the bigger scale, you have a pattern, but at smaller scales, um, slightly different versions of the pattern exist. And I feel, we feel like that's more uh, analogous to what, you know, humans are experiencing. Like you're not and identical at every single scale of your existence. But so so we have this concept that we've learned about, right? I'm not sure if that made too much sense, but um, you know, the, uh, change the slide if you don't mind, please. So this will help. So this formula that uh, Mandelbrot came up with, it's an iterated function in which he made, um, he made Z zero, and then he was able to make C, which is a complex number, any number you wanted. And so the figure on the right, this is the pattern that um, is created by using this iterated function. But the pattern on the right-hand side is a graph. And um, <clears throat> you can see this is this shape here is a cart, it's called a cardioid. Um, so it's not a complete circle. But if you pick a point that's within the black, anywhere in the black, um, which this point here, C, which says uh, 0 0.25 uh, minus 0.25i. So this is a complex number and this point is within the black. Um, so he, he kept Z zero and he iterated the function with different numbers for C. Um, and so what this output that he got is this pattern. And um, the whole point of this pattern that they, they found was that it's it's somewhat arbitrary because Mendelbrot himself said that if 
the number when I iterate this function, when I plug in numbers for each of these uh, for each of these constants, um, and it reaches infinity quickly or infinity at all, then it's not within this Mandelbrot set. Um, but if it doesn't reach infinity, then it's going to be this color black. And so um, this this image over here on the right hand side, you can see where it says um, in the white area for C when he used the complex number of negative one plus 0.5 I, then it's not within the black area. And so it's it reaches infinity um, at some point. Once you iterate that function, it will quickly iterate. Now, does it when you iterate that function, how many times does it get, how many times do you have to put in the numbers for it to reach infinity? That's where the colors come in. And this is completely arbitrary, but the mathematicians were able to code and put a, like put a, a color with each function. And so the different colors you see in all the different fractal images we have in the PowerPoint was just someone determining those colors themselves. But the point is, is that anywhere there's black, then it's within the set. And then any, and that's order. But anywhere that it is without, it was in the outside of the black and that there's color, that's the area of chaos. And so this area of chaos, there's different levels to that chaos. And so, um, you know, depending on how quickly it goes to infinity, it will be one color versus um, another color if it's more unstable than the other. And so um, this kind of, this fractal is a representation of what is known as chaos theory. Um, and chaos theory is really interesting because, you know, sometimes you're looking at a, a dynamic system and it, you think that you can predict what's going to happen next. Like chaos theory is used in weather prediction um, and things like uh, like ecological behaviors and things. Um, but at some point, you actually, it's too chaotic that you can't represent or you can't predict what's going to happen next. Um, so we, we kind of, we're, we're using this fractal model and this fractal theory to think about how, you know, within this, within a certain amount, within a certain subset of inputs, you're going to get out outputs that are represented by the black, which is stable. And then if with certain inputs, you get out outputs that are unstable or chaotic. Um, and so we're hoping to be able to use this mathematical equation, but more so as like an artistic representation of someone's fractal. And um, if you have anything to add. Yeah, I think if we could just watch a two minute video that will explain it. Add, no, add to what Joanna was saying. Maybe this is Mandelbrot set back to basics. Um, I need your help though. Can you think of a number? Um, so the thing I was showing you just now, can you see there's a, like a spirally three there? But I'm even a black trail so because I'm telling George, but the color of the screen, because, black. Um, we just want to like highlight that image that I showed you already on the PowerPoint screen. That's already uh, computated out, but he's doing it on an application for us. Um, so go ahead. Kind of to feel what Mandelbrot felt like. So he was seeing black and blue dots, or in this case, probably just white and black dots. Black for stable, and in my case, blue for unstable. And he started to wonder why there's a black region here that's not over there. 
It's not symmetrical. I really think it must have felt something like this when you have a rubbish printer and you don't trust your code and you wonder what the hell are you seeing? So this is going to take ages, right? I'm going to shortcut the process. What he eventually saw in higher resolution than he saw is this picture. And the black regions, like I was coloring earlier, are stable. You can see anywhere I go in the black region, you get a nice stable pattern with, with lovely orbits. And that's the thing I love seeing move. But if I go over the edge, unstable. Stable, unstable, stable, unstable. So it's even stable in this region. It goes into like two piles. But if I go outside the region, disappeared. If I go up here, you get into three piles. And in fact, Holly's done a lovely video on how many piles you start making, depending on which of these little bulbs you go into. But the first time the Mandelbrot saw this, he had no idea about any of that structure. He just saw a shape, which... So, as you can see, when... Let me get back to here. When it gets out of the fractal set, you get unstable. So, we kind of link that to motive. If your motive is... C as in is the motive. If your motive is out of alignment to your past motives and you iterate that function, your new fractal pattern will be unstable and will be lead to potentially things that you don't want in the future. But also looking at the fractal and seeing this like uh, teetering between chaos and order um, when you, you see a patient, talk to a patient, and what it, what appears to be all this chaos of someone's life, you can actually see through their actions, their behaviors, their speech, um, and other aspects, maybe the lack of stability that they have, whatever the aspects that you're seeing displayed out from a person's uh, experiences. Um, like within all that chaos, as represented by this fractal is actually quite an organized pattern um, of which is exhibiting self-similarity amongst different scales of that individual's experiences. Um, and so like if we can dissect, a dissect apart on smaller scales, why a person did what they did, why they thought what they did, what experiences have led them where, and discover some clarity on a big scale um, that can help like represent the individual as a whole. It's just like, we're trying, that's just like part of what we're trying to um, like gauge and understand, but by using this analogy of the fractal. Any, any thoughts so far? No, it's good. Keep going. <clears throat> so I think there's a lot of, one, I think this could be a framework that could let psychiatry and let people talk on a certain level and understand what you're trying to say. So the first thing that, or one of the things that comes from this is the concept of, can we trust our intuition? To me, our intuition, right, is our gut feeling, our, our thoughts, or what we, when we perceive the world, what we're experiencing from it. Now, I think that your intuition is from those past circles, right? You're experiencing self. But if you're trying to change and you're trying to get to a different point in the future than where you're at now, you need to do different things than the pattern that you're currently on, right? So whatever your intuition is telling you, whatever your feelings are telling you, 
need to, in a way, question it and challenge it to hop to a different pattern, right? Hop, hop to a different rebar, hop to a different set of patterns that will lead to a different outcome. Anything want to add on that? I want to. So what's a really cool concept is that when you have the stimulus, right? Victor Frankl said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose or respond. And our in our response lies our growth and our freedom. Right. So our fractal gives us a preset way of seeing a certain situation. But that stimulus, we don't need to directly, we don't need to act exactly how our body, our brain's telling us to act. There's a space in between our response. And the more we choose, the more we willingly choose differently in a way, depending on the context, then your preset determined pathway, you'll get different results. But it's hard. It's it's um it's a constant challenge to jump from rebar to rebar or go on a different rebar than your preset way is at the moment. And then so I wanted to get into the next slide. The hero journey. So this is a really cool concept. I certainly didn't create it, but it's amazing concept that you could look at it as if you break everything down, we're always trying to get from point A to point B, right? Whatever that could be. Third year medical student trying to get into residency, uh, barista trying to make a coffee, right? We're always trying to A to point B. Now, you have a set of tools that in your mind to get to point B. But if there's ever an obstacle in the way, that could be looked on as an anomaly. Um, so you thought you could get to point A to point B with this set of patterns, but something happened in between and you can't get there. And it's the descent into chaos, right? This is the similar to a lot of Disney movies where you see you have this hero who's trying to get this certain action, but for any number of reasons, he can't do it. So he descends into chaos. Chaos is where is our opportunity in a way, our opportunity to change who we are, our opportunity to change our patterns, change our beliefs and develop ourselves, to reintegrate ourselves, to learn new sets of tools to get to point A to point B. So I think this concept is similar to the Uncle Lou story in that any stimulus that you encounter, it could send you down, but it could depending on where your goal you wanted to get to, to help reintegrate you to that goal. Anything you want to add to that? All right. Then I think I just wanted to mention one more thing with the potential, we call it cancerous thoughts, cancerous, cancerous thought patterns. So you can think about as an athlete, if you hurt your knee, right? The, the biggest concern when they come back is, are they going to play with the same force, the same momentum, the same not thinking about your knee to be able to perform the action? So if you hurt your knee and you 
in in your thought and the thought that you had was my knee will never be the same. I can never jump the same. I can never pivot exactly the same. That thought process carried out over time, which is considered, we would consider it a cancerous thought process because it prevents you from getting to your goal of performing or getting to point B, getting to where you want to go. So there's that. And then the another huge concept is like having a goal, because if you're, unless you have a point B, unless you have a goal to attend, you can never, or you can never learn new sets of patterns to get to that goal, but you need to have an objective and say, all right, how do I get there type of thing, right? Like hippies, they're living on the street, but they're, they're not upset by it, right? They don't have the goal of having a house with two dogs and a, and a wife, right? They're, they're happy in the moment. So everyone has different goals and different, and that's what we have to get across get from the patient, understand where they're trying to go and then help them get on an action pattern that will get to that goal. Yeah. And I guess just to like simply put it the way Brian and I have discussions about like our interactions with other people, we often find ourselves like coming back and discussing, oh, like this person said this or talk about this based on this experience. And like, so we've been like mapping out ourselves, their own fractal, like we're creating their fractal. And so we came up with this fractal theory that maybe we could map out, um, a person can map up, map out their own fractal. Um, Brian's been doing the life stories and, you know, you can, you can see these patterns of experiences. Um, and I mean, he's, he's mentioned multiple times that you, Dr. Madrona can, answer things for the person before they even answer themselves you know you just had so much experience with um many many patients over time but if we could like there's a lot of objective measurements in psychiatry uh like for example the phq9 like to objectively quantify how much someone is depressed or if they're depressed at all but like if there could be a way to like take the different set like we have seven that we're thinking about brian mentioned earlier the brain the body motive, family, friends, like if there are like these larger chapters of a person's life that within we can categorize and take, you know, you know, examples from each like A, B, C, and D. And like someone can take a piece of paper and map out their life story in a way that helps them understand their experiences, their trauma, the good, the bad, all the things that they've experienced in life and they can like break it down logically for their own benefit to then say, okay, which areas of my fractal can I improve? Which areas, oh, that's, I'm really good at that or whatever. Um, and, you know, by allowing them to, to see that and see the complexity of their own life, but also like how concrete their experiences that they've experienced led to the person they are in the present moment. Like being able to like go through fl fluidly between the concrete objective data, but also like, like, you know, the aurora of how complex we are as humans. Um, and just using like for us, not patient, but for us, the fractal, the Mandelbrot set, um, you know, the, the actual mathematical equation that seeing that based on the input, if you put zero in, 
versus one versus the complex number, those inputs will dramatically change the output that we see. And that's what the shape of the fractal image that you know we've shown. And then the, the inputs can be looked upon as habits or thoughts or right. different actions that you do in that day. And you iterate those over time, you repeat those on end. And of course, then the output is going to be this person with a certain personality, certain character, um, certain mode of being. So. All right, that was a run through. That's good. So, how would we, if we, if we practice in this way, how would we practice differently? I think ideally, let's say a patient gets admitted. I think a perfect thing would be just give them a sheet with the concept that. Whatever story that you're at right now, the story that you're telling is you're on a certain rebar, right? And giving them the concept that you can have the little dendrites or little steps to get to a different rebar. So it's not a revolutionary concept that you need to change in order to change your future, but creating um, a picture or a way of seeing that your story is leading you on this certain pathway. And if you and that those pathways lead to certain outcomes. And if you want different pathways, you need to go to different outcomes. So that's the experiencing the remembering self. And then the seven parts, you could look at the seven different parts and you could say, all right, on each of these dimensions, let me try to turn it up. Let me try to make all of these dimensions as best as I can. In increase the quality of relationships with friends, increase with the family, make better action patterns. Like if you could just see yourself as not just a brain, not just your body, not ego id, super ego, those all have a role, but you're more than that. You're very complex and those different dimensions could give you a quicker way to know what, how to improve or where to improve. And, um, you know, it's interesting. We we always have to put an asterisk now next to Jordan Peterson. Yeah. But I loved his maps of meaning. Mm-hmm. He yeah. fabulous book. Yeah. And then he has he recorded all his vid um he teaches he used to teach class in Canada and he recorded all the lectures and I've watched them numerous times when I was a couple years ago. But he's unbelievable when it comes to like mythology and psychiatry but yes he's into like the gender stuff now which could be controversial yeah and and a bit um problematic i think yeah, yeah. and it's 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 hard to know what happened to him but I guess that's not really our problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a different, different discussion. Yeah, no, I really liked his, 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 maps of meaning book. So, yeah, it's a big, big book. So how, how do we explain this to patients in a in a relatively quick way? <laughs> I think if you looked at the seven. You took the seven aspects 
And then with the seven, you could go into, all right, tell me about your closest friends. Tell me about your relationship with your family. Tell me about your habits that you do in throughout the day. Brain and, you know, that's kind of a set thing that maybe you really can't change your IQ that much um, per se. But if you're just giving them um, a way of seeing themselves and then as opposed to everything being all jumbled together, if you break it apart and say, all right, let's focus on this, let's focus on this part, let's focus on this part, you're pretty good with your job, you're pretty good with the actions in the world, but you know, maybe you can increase your, or work on your relationship with your kids, work on X, Y, and Z, but just creating different categories, I think will help. And the categories aren't like revolutionary, obviously but it's just a way to keep people focused. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was wondering um, about the choice of the five factor. Yeah. Yeah, so that's so part of this is right. So like you have an, an idea in your head and then me and Joanna are talking about it and we're kind of like, you know, not butting heads, but trying to get to exactly what we want to say. And part of this is bringing it to other people and seeing if they could map on a different personality traits or they see it differently. This is a better way to look at it. So do you have a different uh, way to look at personalities? Well, I've been interested in the research domain criteria literature Mm -hmm. and thinking about brain circuitry and, and, you know, what are the circuits, what are the things that the brain has to do? And, um, you know, there's, there's, Fear, anxiety, attention, executive function, story brain, you know, it's and and so on. And and we all fall, you know, they're 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 dimensional, you know, these things. I mean all traits are dimensional. And we all fall somewhere on the dimension. And that that it's a social construction. Um, you know, when we decide that that um, someone is abnormal, you know, which is a way of getting around diagnosis. And and I was thinking that, I mean, if so, agreeableness. I was trying to map that onto a brain circuitry or neuroticism. Mm -hmm. And I was having trouble with that, which which doesn't mean that it's not useful. It just may mean that it's somewhat removed from the basic things that the brain does. Mm -hmm. Like manage fear, manage anxiety, Um, look for things, you know, the speaking system. Right. 
the brain is definitely where the rubber meets the road. So if we, I feel like there would potentially be a way to map out like your different variables that you had from your family, how they interact with the world, right? Say if you have a family of 10 doctors versus a family who most people went to jail, right? And then you have the continuum from there, like they're giving you different value sets, right? Your friends, different value sets, but then your brain the actual pathways in it and, and those other pathways, the value sets that you get, like trying to put those all together is why I kind of said this is far from complete. So I think that would be the next level of trying to really show it on the brain or take it to that next step. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And in addition with the personality, like some of the things that I've had issue with the big five factor model is just that like, you know, some of the theory states that we're born with these um, temperaments and it's fixed, but I, you know, whether or not that that's true on a small scale, like, uh, I think it's more so that your environment directly shapes how you're going to respond to the world. I mean, I personally was adopted and I was adopted into two parents who are extremely extroverted, um, like, Italian uh, and uh, just I would describe the complete opposite of me I'm very quiet introverted but there's no doubt that they haven't kind of um, like instilled and in, uh, like I've grown into someone who would be able to talk to the random person in the store like my parents do um, and make friends more easily etc um, but I wouldn't say that I was born that way or that like I even had those tendencies at all. Um, and so it's no doubt that we're influenced by our environment. We know that. But the same goes for someone who might be perceived as neurotic and um, like high anxiety and, you know, we're treating, I mean, in psychiatry, right? Like that's one of the major things that we'd be treating. But if you delve into what happened to them, you know, their life story and the experiences that they underwent, um, I imagine that there'll be patterns of experiences that are influencing them to have such a temperament and that maybe there's parts of them that would have been like that no matter what etc but you know unless you have experienced certain things like how can you say for certain that somebody is it's just the way they are and that it's you know fixed if that right. makes sense right <clears throat> i mean and, and it's clear that we're there are so many factors that influence us at birth, epigenetics, genetics, um, our experience in the womb, our mother's stress, um, and all those things are important. So, um, so how how does how does Fractal theory improve on a sort of multi-dimensional psychobiosocial spiritual perspective. Like mm -hmm. how does it how does it add? What does it add? I guess it's very similar to that. You're hundred percent right. That when we went to Acadia, their big thing is psycho psycho what is it, psychosocial, what those three, psycho psychological, social, and biological. 
Um, and it's definitely it's the same. It's saying the same thing, just saying it in a different way, or putting it on the fractal. I guess you could say. But I agree. It's it's very probably very similar to those four dimensions because that that's pretty much what those seven aspects are, which is pretty cool too because we didn't really hear about that theory until this year but like we had these concepts before so there are some underlying i guess truth patterns or ways of seeing the world that are cross you know cross intellects in a way yeah yeah it's interesting isn't it how how things converge yeah, yeah so we're getting close to the end and it's been really exciting to learn about, you know, your theory. I've really enjoyed it. And um, what, you know, in the last couple of minutes, what do you want to get across to people? Um, what I want to get across is that we can choose to act differently. There's a set way that our brain interprets the world but that's only one way of looking at it we could choose to act differently and choose a different way of being that could be based off your goals like hopping on a different rebar i want to get across like the saying yes to life and saying yes to choosing that everything's not predetermined and like it's all oh i did this because of this factor and that factor at the end of the day, like you're choosing, and that's like I think the most empowering thing to get across. Very good. All right. Well, thank you guys for presenting. It's been fun. And yes, I've learned some things. And uh yeah, thank you.